0: It's exciting, isn't it? So we're, uh, we're a candidate church in the Acts 29 network. It's a global family of church planting churches, and we're stepping into that network, and that means that we'll have relationship with these church plants all around the world. I mean, it's pretty amazing to see all the different places, and they'll have relationship with us. But it means also that we have a new uh, new friends here in South Florida that we're going to be helping in any way we can. As we have been helped by other churches, we want to help other churches get started. I want to ask Winston to come forward. Pastor Winston Miller, let's welcome him. Uh, Pastor Winston and his wife, Brenda Lee, are going to be planting Grace Life Church in the Lauder Hill area. And Winston and I have started to come into the Acts 29 network together and have become friends through that. And I asked him to come and bring God's word to us this morning so we could get to know him. We could pray for him and Brenda Lee as they plant Gospel Life Church in Lauder Hill. And I'm going to pray for him now and then we're going to hear about God's radical grace from him. Lord Jesus, thank you for your people and the gospel that's on the move globally. We thank you that we get to be part of this. And we thank you that you have sent us into this community to share your love and your grace in Jesus Christ. I pray for my brother Winston and Brenda Lee as they and their family look to plant Grace Life Church in Lauder Hill. Would you be with them, and would you help them, Father? And be with him this morning as he brings to us the message of God's radical grace. Might it transform and change us. And all God's people said, amen. Let's welcome him again.
1: Good morning, New City. Good morning. Amen. It's... Uh... Great South Florida weather outside, (laughs) liquid sunshine, really, really happy to be here this morning. Um, My name is Winston Miller, as your pastor John has said, my wife Brenda Lee, my son Alexander, my son Andrew, and my daughter Alyssa is away at college, and uh, so we're praying for her and we thank God for her. It's wonderful to be with you all today. I'm so excited about the work that God is doing in Hollywood, Florida. Uh, I was excited. I've seen that video before and I was excited to see it again, quite frankly, because as we recited this morning from the Apostles Creed One Holy United Church is who we are and you all are a part of something big. You are part of something huge. The gospel work that God is doing all across the world and before John and Virginia came here to plant this church, there was not a church right here. Am I correct? And so now there is a church here. Now there is a great work that God is doing right in Hollywood, Florida, and you all are a part of that, and it is God's uh, tremendous grace toward us that allows us to see that. I'm so glad to be here, so glad to be here with you, And uh, let's dive into the Word of God to see what God's Word has to say. We're reading from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn there. If not, it'll be on the screen. Today we want to talk about God's power to save, God's radical grace and his power to save us. And so again, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing it is the gift of God not a result of works so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should all that we should walk in them this is the word of the Lord let's pray oh Lord open our ears open our eyes that we might hear and see wonderful things from your law transform us even as we hear your word Holy Spirit come and help us to not just hear but to love what you have said and to obey let your name be glorified in Christ's name we pray amen it's uh, School started a couple weeks ago, and as we send our children off to school, I know that we all want the best for our children as parents. Uh, we want them to, uh, to have the best opportunities. We want them to have the best environment to grow up in. We want them to understand who they are. We want them to understand what their generations are, who they're connected to, what their family is like. Uh, we want them to know the right things. Certainly, we've learned a lot in our lives, and we want them to know the, the right things. But the only way that we're going to have, to have them know the right things and to have the best educational available is that we've got to teach it to them. They've got to be taught. They've got to learn. And armed with that knowledge about themselves, our children will have the opportunity as we see it to, to make it in this world, to have a measure of success. But children don't always get it right, do they? And if you remember, you know that's true because you didn't always get it right. And I didn't always get it right. Um, it took my parents to, to tell me and tell me again. To, to remind me of who I was and to remind me of the family that I was part, a part of, and even uh, to remind me of who God was and, and what he has done for me in Christ. And with all the telling and reminding, it, it actually does still take a level of maturity in order for you to understand what they were trying to convey to you. And years later, when you're, you're old and gray, your children will probably come to you and tell you, oh, now I understand what you were trying to say all those years. But it doesn't stop you from telling them now because you know that telling them now is fundamental to their development. And we see nothing less than that happening in this letter to the Ephesians. Paul is speaking to his his spiritual children. He's been training them in the gospel. and, And what we have in the book of Ephesians is a summary of that theological education that he's been giving them over the the course of a number of years. And it's important to realize that not only is Paul speaking to his spiritual children whom he loves, it's actually the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul to God's children. And, And he reminds them, Paul reminds them in chapter one of the book of Ephesians that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing, that they have been chosen in him, chosen in God in Christ before the foundation of the world that they've been predestined for adoption as God's sons that they they have God's inheritance and that's evidenced by the fact that they were sealed with the Holy Spirit I want to look really quickly at at chapter 1 verse 17 where we see uh uh not only Paul telling them but Paul actually praying For them that they might comprehend what God has done for them in Christ and he prays this starting in chapter 1 verse 17 he says this he prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's a grand vision of who we are in Christ. And as believers, we're prone to forget the great work that God has done for us in Christ. And and without gospel reminders, we can become unfaithful and unfruitful servants. Uh, It's, if we as Christians, as children of God, are are going to fulfill our purposes, we're gonna constantly need to be reminded of the greatness of our God. We're gonna constantly need to be reminded of the greatness of his love and his grace toward us. It's the gospel message that's proclaimed time after time, day after day. And, And we also must pray for each other that we will comprehend the magnitude of what has really been done for us in Christ. So in our text, in, chapters, uh, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, Paul beautifully details the depth of our depravity, where we're coming from. Uh, I, I, like, I like the way that we did the confession of, of our sins this morning, uh, what we really are, who we really are, what we're really thinking. Uh, It details the the depths of depravity of where we're coming from and how gracious and how merciful God has been. He's been powerful in saving us and then repurposing us for his glory. In other words, God has saved us by his grace to glorify himself so that our lives should be marked by God's good works. I'll say that again. God has saved us by his grace to glorify himself so that our lives should be marked by God's good works. And as we consider our text, Paul speaks about this in three ways. He speaks about this as God's perspective on our our guilty state. He speaks about this as God's provision and God's power. God's perspective, his provision, and his power. Uh, God's perspective of our guilty condition, his provision of grace, And the granting of God's power to do God's good works. So let's dive into verses 1 through 3, where we're first faced with a description of the state of our souls and the state of our lives before God's mighty and gracious hand reached down in order to save us and to rescue us. And there's some things that we learn here. Number one is that being sinners before Christ, we weren't in need of a helping hand we were in need of resurrection amen god describes our position before his intervention this way and you were what dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked now this is not a state where you're born naturally good and you just have a little bad that needs to be worked out or you're 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 born good with a little or you're born bad with a little good that needs to be worked in Uh, This is a definitive, eternal state of the soul that leads to eternal damnation. Romans 5, 12 uh, uh, describes it this way. It says, sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. You've heard the scripture, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We were uh, eternally, hopelessly, Dead men and women walking. It's who we were. And spiritual death is marked by rebellion against the God who created you. It, it's worshiping anything or anyone uh, outside of our creator with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And, and Romans chapter 2, another book that Paul wrote, talks about how man in his rebellion against God, he exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. And many of us can look back on our lives before we trusted in Christ alone for our salvation and remember that we thought we were okay, right? We, we, we were coherent. We could make moral decisions. Uh, we treated people well. We even attended church regularly. And like many of us who are spiritually dead, we weren't aware of where we really were. We weren't really aware of our standing with God. And Paul doesn't want the Ephesians to forget. He, and may we never forget the state of spiritual death that we were in and, and the fact that we were unable to wake ourselves out of it. We needed the gospel preached to us. And, and our friends and our neighbors, uh, our family, they need the gospel preached to them in order for them to be woken out of spiritual death and of course it's not just Paul who describes us in the Bible as being spiritually dead our Lord Jesus Christ in John 5 24 through 25 says this truly truly I say to you whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life he does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life truly truly I say to you an hour is coming in is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. So what characterized, what else characterized our spiritual death? Trespasses and sins is what the scripture says here. We were aligned against God. We regularly and hopelessly transgressed God's law. And thus we, we could never line up with God's standards of holiness. He's a perfectly holy God. We couldn't line up there. Our sins against God and our, our sin nature prevented us from having a right relationship with the Father. And life without relationship with God is spiritual death. So we were in need of resurrection, not just a helping hand. We were in need of resurrection, not just a list of good works, not just a a bunch of things that we can do in order to earn God's favor. We were in need of a radical transformation from death to life. Not only that, God's perspective of our guilty state is also that we were hopelessly under the influence of the world and of the devil. Paul says this, that we were following the course of this world. Uh, uh, Another way to say that, we were walking according to the course of this world. We're part of a godless society. We're just being moved along with everything that this world has to say and the way it has to think. And everyone who has not yet come to Christ for salvation may not yet realize the influence that the environment of the world has. There's this illustration where a a young fish looks at an older fish and asks him, uh, how's the water? The older fish says, what's water? He's just been in it so long he doesn't even realize that it's still around him right? And that's how we were. It's where we eat, the world is, where we play, where we drive, work, make laws, where we're governed and governed, where we're educated, where we educate. It's where we live. We're in the world. But thanks be to God, we are not of the world. We're no longer uh, uh, subject to its godless influences. Uh, We should no longer have a perspective that is ruled by the influence of the Polarizing factions in academia, uh, in the government, in the media, in uh, in social society. We no longer have a lifestyle that's dictated by the standards of the world. Because according to the word of God, that's who we were. But we're no longer like that. Now we're washed. Paul says that we were also following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And can I remind us of something that this prince is a powerful adversary. He really is. We often picture him uh, the adversary, the devil, Satan. We often picture him as this little uh, uh, character that's over our shoulders, trying to influ- influence us to do what we actually want to do in the first place. Right? Or we, we picture him as a lion. The Bible says that he's a roaring lion seeking whom he, he whom he may devour, and sometimes we would say he's a lion without any real teeth. He's ineffective and powerless. But the truth is this is a very powerful adversary. Men are deceived every single day by this adversary. We are tempted to doubt our Savior through the temptations that he places in front of us. And and he's a prince with an army of deceivers, and they work to oppose God in our homes, in our schools, in our government, even in our churches, and we're under attack every single day. And this evil prince, he can't be appeased with incantations. He can't be appeased with spells. Uh, You can't throw salt over your shoulder and get rid of him. Uh, You can't have potions or creams just to ward off evil. Uh, This is why later in chapter 6, Paul's going to outline what we finally must do, which is to put on the whole armor of God, so that we can withstand the evil schemes of the wicked one because brothers and sisters outside of god's protection his schemes are very very effective and it's a sobering indictment and also clarifying that paul he describes us as children of disobedience and and that means we're we're springing from and we're nourished by disobedience it's it's not like we were disobedient parents to good children no we were actually children of disobedience personified the adversary himself now this is not a really good picture that I'm painting here right but this is what Paul is saying what the Holy Spirit is saying this is who we were we were also sinners by nature this is the third truth that Paul points out Um, we were driven by this nature so to review Paul says this he says we lived in the world under its influence, doing what everyone else did. And and number two, we actually did what the devil wanted us to do. We lived following the prince of the power of the air. But number three, we enjoyed it. He says here that we lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And this was all of us. Because of our sinful nature, we were all destined for God's judgment. Children of wrath, not one of us was so special that we were outside of the realm of needing God's radical grace to save us. And this is God's perspective. This is the truth about who we really were without Christ. It's not a pretty picture. It's an awful, hopeless picture. And we needed him. We needed salvation. But I like what it says in 4, verse 4. Everybody say, but But. God. Say it again, "But but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So let's talk about God's provision of grace. He doesn't say, but thanks be to God, you decided to ask Jesus into your heart after you decided he was the best option. That's not what it says. It doesn't say uh, because of your own goodness, the gospel just made sense to you, and then you decided to become a Christian. As sinners, until God made us alive through the gospel, we were in the grips of spiritual death. That's what we just talked about. We weren't just resistant to God, we were unable to respond without God's grace, granting the gift of faith to believe in Christ's life, death, and resurrection. And if you were God, how much mercy would you have to give to you In order to not just forgive you, but to adopt you as a child, somebody who used to be your enemy. I want you to know that our God is rich in mercy. I want you to contrast it with the fact that because our God is holy, he's also the one who destines those who are spiritually dead for ultimate wrath. Right? He's a God of justice, but he's also a God of mercy. And and I want you to know that justice was poured out on Christ on our behalf on the cross. And mercy was awarded to us on account of the righteous life of Christ. So if you're here today and you consider yourself to be a great sinner, I want you to understand that God is not just a, he's not a reluctantly merciful God. He's not dispensing mercy to you under compulsion. He is extravagant in his mercy. He, is, he shows off mercy. He, whatever your sins may be, he is rich in mercy for you here today. And, and God's actions toward us, they're motivated by his very nature, one of his most recognizable attributes, which is love. Paul says that it's with the great love with which he loved us. God loved us in this way, that he sent his only begotten son, Uh, who lived perfectly and never sinned against his father, and Jesus died on the cross, and God raised him from the dead so that his righteous life could be given to us, even uh, those of us who believe in him by faith. So if you'll trust in what he's done on your behalf, those very real and very evil sins will be obliterated with Christ on the cross, and they will never be assigned to you ever anymore. Amen. Amen. (laughs) His mercy is personal. It's for you. It is for you. God's love is personal, not because we've earned his personal attention. It's because God is rich in mercy, great in love, and he's decided to set his affection on you. Remember, He says earlier, Paul does, that we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. That we were predestined for adoption as children of God. And God wants to lavish that mercy on you today. If you're not a believer in Christ, my prayer is that you respond to the seeds of faith that is being sown in you even right now. So that you can experience his mercy and love that transforms your life. And it transforms your purpose completely. Amen? So not only is God's provision of grace to us because of his mercy of love, but it's, it's by his power. When we were dead in trespass and sins, God made us alive together with Christ. And it says that we were raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We, we had, and we really still have, nothing that can add uh, to God. We've got nothing glorious to add to God. God is glorified in the fact that he takes us as dead, worthless sinners. And those sinners that have faith in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, and and he saves us that way. That's how he's glorified. And we who have trusted in Christ are right now, by God's Spirit, in union with Christ, the Word of God says, and we're seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Where is this heavenly places in Christ Jesus? Jesus. Paul told us in chapter 1 verse 21 that this is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come. And this is so this is not just about elevating your mind. This is not just promotion that God promotes us to another level. This is not just about my perspective on life. This is already being in a position where we rule and reign with Christ, in union with Christ. We're we're above what he calls principalities and powers, above the rulers of the darkness of this world, no longer under the reign of the prince of the power of the air. We're in the protection and the care and on the power of the one who is the Alpha and the Omega, who is the beginning and the end, who is the first and the last, who is the one who reigns both now and forevermore. We're under his power now and in his protection. And because we're seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, Paul tells the Colossian church to seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of the Father. So we should no longer react to things in this world without looking to God first. That's where we are. We're with Christ now. The world reacts by asking, what does the news media have to say? What's going to make the most money? What will be the most efficient thing to do? But the children of God, because of our position, we look to God and to his word first. It's one of your values here, to be rooted in the word of God. So we trust our king, who is our savior and our provider. We seek first the kingdom of God, knowing that everything else will be added to us as Christians in this world. And this grace, it's so amazing at times, it just, it can blow your mind. Why does God save us? Why does he lavish his grace upon us? Look with me at verse 7, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. My brothers and sisters, God has saved us so that his grace would be made manifest, would be shown to all of the world for all of eternity. In chapter 1-6, God predestines us for adoption as his sons for this purpose, to the praise of his glorious grace. Everything exists in order to bring glory to God. That's why he made everything, to bring glory to God. And God justifies ungodly, guilty sinners to show the absolute richness of his grace this is what brings glory to God and this brings us to verse 8 to our final point God's power to go and do good works God's power to go and do good works Paul says for by grace you've been saved through faith and this is not your own doing it is the gift of God so he repeats what he said in verse 5 by grace you have been saved through faith God's word has shown us that who we are without Christ we know that what God has done for us in Christ. And the fact is, he did all the work. He did all the work. Uh, we did none of the work. Uh, even the faith to believe in Christ is a gift from God. Even when we believe, that's God wakening us. That's God making us alive. And Jonathan Edwards famously said, You contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. And why is this important? Because God is sovereign and he must be worshiped as such. He's the ruler. He's the one who reigns. He's the author of salvation. And he's not going to share his glory with anyone else, not even you, amen? You, you don't have the gospel if you have contributed something to the saving of your own soul. Every other religion describes salvation or being saved um, as something that includes our works. There, there's something that you need to, to do, some initiative you need to take in order to earn your acceptance with God. But the gospel, true Christianity, is really different than that. And Having this understanding of the gospel changes our lives day by day. R- religion says, I obey, and therefore I am accepted by God. But the gospel says I am accepted by God through Christ, because of Christ, because of what he has done, and therefore I gladly obey. So Paul says that our salvation is not a result of works so that no one can boast. And this is an important reminder for us because even after we understand that God has saved us apart from our works, we're really inclined to believe that doing good works are going to keep us in God's favor. I don't know if you struggle with that. I know I do from time to time. Uh, uh, We have to do some things in order to keep, uh, keep ourselves in God's good graces. But I need you to understand that it's not good works that keep us in God's favor. Good works are what God has created us in Christ Jesus for. We're not saved by good works, but we're certainly saved for good works. This is the best motivation the only motivation for good works that are going to glorify God because you'll never earn anything from God by your efforts. And let me just encourage you, as you go to work Monday and Tuesday and you go through life this week, you're going to often be tempted to think that because you messed up that God no longer loves you, that that you no longer have a standing with Christ. Allow me to say that by grace you have been saved through faith Not of works lest any man should boast. It is the gift of God. And as you reflect on that gift, you can go through life looking to God, who's the author and the finisher of your salvation, and continually do works that would glorify and honor to him. And that's why the gospel is not merely a get-out-of-hell-free card. That's not what this is. It's not just an alternative way of life. We've been radically and fundamentally changed because of what Christ has done on our behalf. And this fact radically and fundamentally changes the very purposes for why we do what we do. And it changes our behavior. So what do we do now that we're alive together with Christ? My brothers and sisters, God is showing off the riches of his grace and kindness toward us. And we're called to do that for our brothers and sisters in Christ and for the world around us. We're his What he says here in verse 10, workmanship, where his good work, it it denotes a personal touch. God has recreated us, and it's amazing to know that you were created, right? When you think about your physical, your spiritual, your your, uh, aspects, your intellect, when you think about your creativity, your, your artistic impulses, and how you're able to display them, you were personally created by God. But here's an even more amazing fact. If you trust in Christ for your salvation, you have been recreated. Recreated and given his spirit. So now, as this new creation, we're we're the salt of the earth, Jesus said. We're the light of the world. And as a city or the town built on a hill, we're to be a community that's dedicated to doing good works toward each other and toward the community so that the community would know the love and the mercy and the grace of God that's been extended to us and that they would experience it too We're to boldly and confidently do these good works that we've been recreated repurposed to do and God prepared that for us before the foundation of the world verse 10 we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works don't forget if you're going to memorize verse 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved, don't forget verse 10, because we've been created for good works. Our mission, of the, our mission as a church, uh, in Matthew 28, 19, Jesus said, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Don't you know that as a children of God, only we can do that? That's the good work that we can do, that we have been recreated to do. Hearing and responding in God-given faith to the gospel, resurrecting us from spiritual death to life. This is what we want to see happen in all of the people that we know. uh, Our family and our friends that have not yet heard the gospel. And this is what we've been called to do. Finally, let me say, as we consider um, obeying the call of God to plant this church in in Lauder Hill, and what we want to do is partner with churches such as New City, because New City has been called to this area uh, in order to reflect how the gospel has uh, impacted your lives to the rest of this community. And we want to do the same thing in the community of Lauder Hill to partner with New City in order to plant churches all over South Florida to the glory of God. And Paul here in Ephesians is praying for a grace-filled community, a a community that lives lives that are changed, that are transformed, that are empowered by, that are motivated by the gospel, by the grace of God that Paul is describing here in Ephesians 2. God's grace that brought us from death to life. God's grace that freed us from the bondage of sin and then put us in authority, seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. And by God's grace, we envision a community uh, that is transformed by the grace of God, that's pointing others to Christ, where grace-filled lives um, submit to one another in Christ, truly love one another and honor God. Uh, Grace-filled lives that will protect and nurture our children, graceful lives that uh, uh, you know, graceful husbands that will love their wives as Christ loved the church, graceful wives that will honor and respect their husbands, that, will, that we would love each other enough to uh, uh, support each other and to tell each other the truth, that we will pray for one another, that we will support repentance and reconciliation in our families with our employers and with employees, with groups of people that we might think we're better than and with groups of people that we think we've been disrespected or even harmed by. These are the kinds of good works that God is calling us to and that we've been recreated to do. Imagine a community like that. That's the vision. A grace filled uh, community. And it's counter to the current culture. It can't help but have this disorienting effect on society. But what has happened to us as Christians, what's happened to us, uh, who we are now, it actually puts us in a different category than the rest of the world from a lost and dying world. But it's happened to us so that we may grace others with this wonderful gospel. So please remember the good works that we do are works that God has already created us to do. We don't attempt to do good works simply because we're indignant against society, right? We don't attempt to do good works uh, just because uh, other people will see us and because it's going to make just some uh, a better change in our immediate community. We do them because we're aware of the fundamental and radical change that's been done to us and then we move in that power toward others. So because of what Christ has done for you, you can do what's in front of you you can love the people that God has put in your sphere of influence you can give them the gospel do it as the spirit of God leads you and do it in faith confident that God has called you for this time and he's given you the power to do it let's pray Lord we are so thankful for your word today here in Ephesians chapter 2 you've saved us by your grace and you've saved us so that we could glorify you through the works that you have called us to do i pray lord jesus for those whom you have allowed to hear your word today help us all lord to respond in faith and to respond with gratitude for who you are and for what you have done for us in christ in jesus name we pray amen
0: amen thank you my brother You know, God's grace is at the very center of what we're doing here at New City Fellowship. You know that we talk about empowered by the gospel. That's the same thing as God's grace coming into our lives. We don't have anything to offer him. All we have is our sin and our weakness, and yet because of what Christ has done for us, because the Father sent the Son, we have a new power to live the Christian life. Brother, we're so thankful for you bringing God's word. If you, if you realize we did a similar text last week and really we could never go into the grace of God enough. We need it over and over again. Let's sing about that grace and love right now. Would you stand with me?